You're listening to The Happy Hour with Nick Sainert and Enrique Alvarez-Cleary on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Back here on The Happy Hour, 93.7 The Ticket, theticketfm.com. Nick Sainert and Enrique Alvarez-Cleary are with you on a Thursday here. Nebraska football is one day closer to hosting the Ohio State Buckeyes. So, we decided to make a call. And we are joined on the Honda of Lincoln Hotline by Steve Hellwagon of Bucknuts.com, which is Ohio State's 24-7 sports website. Steve, how are you doing today? I appreciate you taking some time and joining us on this Thursday. Yep, doing great, guys. Just looking forward to coming out uh, for the game this weekend. Have you been to Lincoln? Yes, I have been there three times, all three times Ohio State's played since uh, they joined the Big Ten. I was there in the 2011 game, and uh, it is uh, you know, one of the best stadiums in, in college football. I've been doing this for over 25 years, and I put it up there with Penn State, Wisconsin, Ohio State. Those are probably the three or four that are at the top, and uh, Nebraska is certainly right there at the top with the rest of them. Yeah, I, I want to start with this. Um, what's the vibe around Columbus right now? Because you guys are fifth in the in the playoff pool, and, and you guys have some interesting games coming up with Michigan State, Purdue, and then obviously the big one with Michigan. What's the mindset around Columbus going into this game against Nebraska? Is it a potential game where, where Ohio State could slip up, or do you guys not worry about that up there? Oh, I think people are cautiously optimistic about things. I think, obviously, the early season loss to Oregon mm-hmm left them with no margin for error. They can't afford to lose a game the rest of the way. They would be out of the playoff hunt. Um, interestingly, they could lose this game and still win out and go and uh, play for the Big Ten championship because they would take wins over Michigan State and Michigan and uh, win any tiebreakers with one loss So in the Big Ten. So that's kind of the, the interesting thing about these crossover games. Ohio State lost them. Uh, to uh, to Purdue uh, and Iowa in back-to-back seasons. I've got them in backwards. It was Iowa in 2017 and Purdue in 2018, but still won the division because they swept the rest of the division. So, um, you know, they don't want to lose the game, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> to be in position where they are with the playoff, it's all right there for them to play for because they're going to play Michigan State, who's number three, and Michigan, who's number seven, at least right now, before the regular season's over. And then Minnesota is in the poll as well at number 20. So uh, if they win the West, so uh, there's a lot out there for Ohio State, a potential to, to go on to the playoff and win the Big Ten for the fifth straight year, but you got to keep winning. And, uh, you know, Nebraska has played everybody uh, tight this season. And Ohio State's got to be on guard because this was an emotional, physical win for them over Penn State this past week. Mm-hmm. And now they got to carry it over and go out to Nebraska and play well. It was a slower start for Ohio State this year. Uh, they played the close game against Minnesota and then the loss to Oregon. And then uh, two games after that, C.J. Stroud uh, sat out the game to, to possibly get his head right or, or you know what have you. Um, what turned around for Ohio State that, that got them playing so well? Well, I mean, you had so many new players, I think, on both sides of the ball, particularly on defense, was the biggest issue early in the season. Uh, They just struggled to get stops, and they gave up 30 points 
in the first two games, you know, 31 to Minnesota and 35 to Oregon. And you just left scratching your head, like what's going on here. But uh, they really, because of injuries and guys who had left, uh, they only had two or three guys who had ever even played featured roles on defense previously, entirely new starting group at linebacker. And uh, most of the guys in the secondary were new as well. So those guys have gotten some, uh, some experience. They're playing much better. They kind of tweak things defensively after the loss to Oregon. And then, of course, C.J. Stroud on the other side. He has kind of gotten comfortable at the quarterback position. He had the shoulder injury he suffered against Minnesota, played with it against Oregon, still threw for 500 yards, basically, or close to 500 yards in the loss to Oregon. And uh, yet he's actually playing better football now. Uh, He's not turning the ball over and uh, throwing for a high percentage and and really starting to come into his own. And I think it obviously helped that they went through a stretch there of games where they played Akron, Rutgers, uh, Maryland, Indiana, you know. Mm -hmm. So none of those teams really gave them a whole lot of resistance. They got out to fast starts in those games, up uh, 25, 30 points at halftime. This past week against Penn State, not such a good start. Uh, They trailed for much of the first half before they finally took the lead middle of the second quarter and uh, were able to pull away in the second half a little bit. But uh, even then, it was still not decided until Penn State missed a field goal with about a minute 20 to go in the game. Um, Penn State was still in the game, a nine-point game. But uh, Buckeyes uh, got the victory, and that's somewhat of a rivalry, them and Penn State. Mm-hmm. And uh, so any win over them is a good win, regardless of the records or whatever. But uh you know, they're in position, and that's uh, where they wanted to be at this point of the season. Would love to have the Oregon game back if it ever, you know, if they got to play them in the Rose Bowl or playoff or whatever, uh, so be it. But uh, certainly, uh, you know, they're in position to, to achieve everything they set out to achieve. We're talking to Steve Hellwagon of Bucknuts.com up in Columbus. Now, Steve, I, I kind of want to get your take on the quarterback room at Ohio State because obviously you have a couple highly rated guys in in McCord and now obviously CJ Stroud and then Ewers who left high school a year early are you guys expecting attrition there at the end of the season or or what's your just overall take on the quarterback room yeah I think it would make sense if at least one of those guys one of those four guys would leave I know that they still want to try and get another one believe it or not Mm. another uh, 2022 prospect possibly to sign with them uh, just to make sure that they have depth at that position. Because, as you said, you've got C.J. Stroud, who if he continues to play like this, is going to be the starter through the end of next season in uh, 2022, where then he would be eligible potentially to jump off and go to the NFL. Mm-hmm. You have Kyle McCord from Pennsylvania. He's a true freshman, and he came in and started the Akron game when Stroud had the, the shoulder injury. And he did outstanding in that game. I think he threw for 300 yards against Akron. Now, again, it was Akron, so Mm -hmm. kind of put a star by it. And then you have Jack Miller. He's uh, from Arizona. He's a redshirt freshman. He's number three right now. And then Quinn Ewers is really not in a position to play at this point, it doesn't sound like. A true freshman, uh, he basically kind of sprung it on Ohio State that, hey, I'm coming. And I think it was done in large part so that he could take advantage of the name, image, and likeness contracts that he had put in place and he could not do that as a high school athlete in texas and retain his eligibility so uh, he came to ohio state and it appears that you know now they're eight weeks into the season and he hasn't moved moved to pick up his helmet yet to go in a game i think it's pretty clear that he's not going to play this year 
I mean, barring something completely unforeseen, if two or three guys maybe got hurt. But uh, uh, to my way of thinking, I think that, that they just sat him down and said, that's fine. You can come and acclimate yourself, but uh, our eggs are in the basket of these other three guys, and it wouldn't be right uh, to throw them aside uh, for yours. Uh, so, you know, he's going to play the waiting game and I guess go into spring football and they'll see who's left and who wants to compete with Stroud for the starting job. But uh, to my way of thinking, I think Miller is going to stay put and then maybe either McCord or yours would move on perhaps. But, uh, you know, nothing would surprise you. I mean, you talk about Ryan Day. He's kind of the quarterback whisperer. He put uh, Dwayne Haskins in the first round and uh, Justin Fields in the first round. And Stroud looks like in 2023 he could be a guy that's talked about like that and then whoever follows him, you know. So it, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a progression, and maybe one of them will agree to play the long game. You never know. Yeah, that, that's really interesting, actually. Um, we're talking to Steve Hellwagon of Bucknuts.com. I want to, I would like you to explain Ohio State's offense a little more in depth because it, it's fascinating to to me personally because you guys have a trio of receivers in in Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and uh, Jackson uh, Smith and Jigba, and then you also have Jeremy Rutgert at tight end. But then you have a freshman running back that is second in the conference in rushing yards. How? What? It, what is Ohio State's offensive identity? How does Ryan Day like to call the plays? Well, I think that they would like to have pretty close to a balance between running and passing. Some some weeks and some games it doesn't work out like that. Against Oregon, they were very pass happy because they'd fallen behind by two touchdowns and they needed to pick up yards and in big chunks and they have big play capability. You've got Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. As I was looking back, both of them went over 100 yards receiving last year against Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So the Nebraska coaches and players know all about those two guys, number two and number five, and uh, they're going to be out there. But then here's number 11, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, a guy who's really come on at wide receiver. They, those three guys play, you know, quite a few of the stab snaps. They rarely come out of the game. Ruckert has been a nice weapon for them at tight end at times, and even Henderson catching the ball out of the backfield. I think they run a lot of run-pass option where he's got the ball in Henderson's belly and he can pull it and throw it perhaps on a quick slant to one of those guys or you know, pull it and run it himself, although he rarely ever runs the ball himself, Stroud. I think because of the shoulder injury, they have uh, told him do not, under penalty of uh, – of death, do not carry the football because they don't want to get him injured. And, uh, you know, maybe as they get into a championship caliber type games here down the stretch, maybe that's the last wrinkle of this offense that they will unveil as the quarterback run. Because last week against Penn State, he had green field turf in front of him and turned it down mm-hmm. and looked to still throw the football. So he's got the ability to run it. But, uh, you know, even last week when Sean Clifford, the Penn State quarterback, took off and, and ran the ball and uh, went on a slide. Uh, he got popped and uh, targeted by Ohio State linebacker uh, Steel Chambers. So even when you go in on a slide, you, you're still liable yeah. to get hit. And because of that play, Chambers will not be able to play uh, the first half this week against Nebraska, which is uh, kind of an interesting twist in of itself. But uh, that kind of in a nutshell, I think, describes it. They spread it around to a lot of different people, and I think that uh, – you know, it, it's very diverse. It's hard to really, you know, Penn State held them down for the longest time last week, but eventually Ohio State did a long pass for a touchdown, hit another one that uh, Smith the Jigba, a short pass. He turned up field for 
50 or 60 yards and Henderson broke off a 68 yard run. And, you know, you might hold them in check for a quarter or two, but they're going to hit a big play at some point. We're speaking with Steve Hellwagon of Bucknuts, Ohio State's 24-7. We, you know, here in Nebraska, we're we're kind of in an echo chamber of of things going on with the, with the football program. So we really like to see um, outside what you, what you see at Nebraska? We know uh, Ryan Day was praising Scott Frost and and this football team, saying that they're much better than their record. But to you, what uh, what do you see with Nebraska and Scott Frost? Well, I obviously watched the opening game against Illinois, and uh, Illinois uh, obviously it's kind of been borne out, other than the win over Penn State, it hasn't done a whole heck of a lot this season. And I think you know the bad feeling for Nebraska kind of began there. And just so many hard luck losses. I mean, they have been in every game they've played and should have won two or three more than they've won. I mean, that's kind of the obvious feeling to me. They're up at halftime this past week against Purdue, but can't overcome the four interceptions. And, you know, Adrian Martinez is an outstanding run and pass threat at quarterback. 36 starts, I read in the game notes. And had only thrown three interceptions all season and then throws four of them last week. One of them returned for a touchdown. And uh, the color commentator in the game, anybody who was not at the game watching the Nebraska game, referred to him as an enigma. And, you know, I guess that just kind of describes Nebraska football to people outside the state of Nebraska. It, it is it's wonderful. Believe me, they've got an amazing football program, great tradition. And, and has been an outstanding addition to the Big Ten Conference. I don't think anybody would dispute any of that. It's just on the field. It's just been this dark cloud over Nebraska football, and it doesn't matter who's playing for them or who's coaching for them, Pelini, uh, Riley, Frost, whoever it is, it, it just never seems to lift. And, you know, changing the coach or, you know, changing the quarterback or whatever – you know, I don't know where you get by doing that, but at some point it's going to lift. And I, I think, you know, is he the guy that's going to be there when it happens? I, you know, I can't, I'm not Trev Alberts. I'm not the president. I can't say that, but, you know, I think people there are hoping he is the guy that, that puts them where they need to be and want to be. And, and, you know, I, I, I don't know what else to say other than just a lot of bad breaks have gone against them. And, it, it's time, you know, whether it's winning these last three games to get into a bowl game, which they're going to be an underdog, obviously, in all three of these games, or uh, getting into one next year. At some point, it's got to lift, and they've got to take that next step because the West is completely wide open. Yeah, I mean, anybody could win it. I mean, you know, next year, uh, you know, any. I don't know if Illinois necessarily could, but the other six schools – all seem like they are really playing good football. And so, uh, you know, in, in winning games against the East, so um, which hadn't been the case, you know, in recent years. So, uh, to me, there's a lot of potential out there. They should be doing better than they are. And, um, you know, yet, uh, you know, a lot of factors at play. You know, can you fire the coach and pay another big uh, buyout? And, and who's going to be the next person in, in line? And, and I know I don't live there, so I can talk like this. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It, 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 it's a great place to come watch a football game. And you just you, you want, for all the enthusiasm that's involved there, you want to see them be successful. I think that's what people believe. And, and so, um, you know, it's coming. It just, 
patience, I guess, is yeah. the, the only yeah. thing I can say at this point. Yeah, that's kind of been the, the thought around here is is patience. And then, obviously, like you said, the Big Ten West, wide open, it, it feels like. Because, I mean, Wisconsin is finally starting to turn it around, it feels like, with that defense. Iowa, we thought, was was better than they might be, actually. So you have no idea what you're going to get from the West, specifically, year in and year out. Steve, we, we, we got to let you go. I appreciate the time, as always. Um, we'll, we'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the trip to Lincoln. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Yep, guys. Take care. That is Steve Hellwagon of Bucknuts.com, Ohio State's 24-7 sports site up in Columbus. We're running a couple minutes behind. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back, and we'll uh, talk about this Beatrice Bakery stuff coming up next on The Happy Hour. What if you could make fresh, delicious meals at home without the stress of planning, prepping, or cleaning up? Introducing Tavala. Tavala is a first-of-its-kind meal service that makes eating well effortless. By combining a countertop smart oven with delivered meals, just scan a QR code to cook dinner. First, choose from a variety of chef-crafted meals delivered weekly to your door. When you're ready to eat, just do one minute of easy prep. Next, scan your meal's QR code with the Tavala Smart Oven. While the oven automatically switches between modes and temperatures for the perfect cook, just sit back and relax. Your food's ready in 25 minutes or less. No shopping, no chopping, no cleanup. Simplify mealtime today with Tavala. Go to Tavala.com now to save $150 on a Tavala Smart Oven when you agree to order meals six times. That's T-O-V-A-L-A dot com. Promo applied automatically at checkout. Tavala. Eat well effortlessly. Tavala.com. 